The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest, member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Doing well, Father. Thanks Good. for being here. Glad to hear you. Good to be back. Um, Father, there's, um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of talk this week about the, uh, the COVID vaccine. Um, it's, it's been... In the news a lot, I guess, as the uh, vaccine has begun to uh, be administered uh, to to uh, different groups of people now. And we've had a lot of questions about that. There's been a lot of a lot of talk about that. Um, but in particular, Father, we had um, an email that I wanted to read from a viewer uh, asking you to clarify something. He said that uh, <clears throat> he was confused because in one video, Father Jenkins, uh, you said that the uh, that any COVID vaccination uh, was to be avoided at all costs if it was made from fetal tissue from aborted babies. However, in another video, you said that there could be a solid moral argument to be made uh, to take the shot if it uh, saved a life. So, Father, how is that possible? How can we say that there is a solid moral argument to be made for taking the vaccine, and at the same time, we cannot have anything to do with a vaccine that is derived from aborted fetal cells? Well, when I say a solid moral argument, take the vaccine, I don't know if I used those words exactly, possible, possible I did, but, you know, uh, I'm glad to have the opportunity to clarify that, you know, in fact, if that was said. There's a lot of controversy about this now, Tom, you know, the Society of St. Pius X had a statement came out, and <clears throat> I think the statement actually had come out two years ago or more, but then was repeated recently, and then um, there was a hue and cry against it, and they said that they were going to think it, send it back to the uh, committee, <laughs> or something to that effect, and the committee would issue another statement, and the committee issued another statement with a few more words of explanation, but essentially it was the same statement. And uh, as I interpret it, they're saying that the vaccine can be justified, and possibly even more than justified. It can, ask, it can possibly even mandatory. Um, so, um, but then the Vatican II, the Church, uh, Francis and so on, have issued a statement from the Vatican to the effect, well, essentially the same thing, really. Right? And what we're concerned about here is the teaching of the Church in terms of right and wrong, right? Um, um, so, you know, the question is, well, what, what does the Church teach? And what the Church teaches is pretty much reflected in the teachings of her approved moral theologians. You know. The Church has uh, the opinions of various moral theologians that she has uh, used as the um, uh, basis for teaching seminarians and priests and moving forward. The Church has approved their writings and... Uh, uh, in doing so, the Church has actually endorsed the positions that they've held. Uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori, for example, uh, in his moral writings, uh, has been 
actually uh, like uh, held by the church as someone who can be followed in any of his uh, moral theological principles that he enunciates in his explanations. So the church finds him so reliable and so right on, spot on, <clears throat> the church's traditional moral teaching that uh, one can safely follow him, right, uh, without fear of sinning and uh, following his opinions. <clears throat> now, um, what the church has taught throughout the years is um, obviously that there are different ways of cooperating in evil, okay? When we're talking about a vaccine uh, or any product, <laughs> uh, and nowadays they're talking about even beauty project products being derived from the um, bodies of aborted children, right? And to uh, use these, these products would be a form of cooperation in evil. The church's concern would be um, the manner of this cooperation, though, because the church sees there's a proximate cooperation in evil and a remote cooperation in evil. And uh, one, one could speak a great deal about these things and... Uh, it would take up several programs just developing these these ideas and giving uh, cases and examples. Um, I'd like to uh, simplify it, but not to the point of, uh, of falsifying it. You know, but the uh, direct cooperation in evil is uh, cooperation that makes one complicit, basically complicit in the evil. Okay. And essentially what it comes down to is that someone's participation is so immediate and so direct that the evil could not happen if the person didn't cooperate or contribute. Um, <clears throat> a murder is committed with a gun and somebody supplies the gun. That's direct cooperation. Somebody supplies the ammunition. That's <clears throat> immediate cooperation directly. Um, <clears throat> an abortion is taking place. Someone drives the person to the abortion clinic. That's direct cooperation. Someone pays the abortion clinic to uh, do the abortion, right? Obviously, the so it's not just the doctor and it's not just the mother who brings the child to be aborted, but there are others who can directly cooperate such that were it not for their cooperation, it would not have happened. At least not that not not time and not that way, you know. Maybe somebody else would have stepped forward, <laughs> you know, the next day uh, if somebody didn't do it the day before, but still the person who actually does step forward and does pay for the abortion has direct cooperation and is complicit in the abortion. <clears throat> uh, supplying the weaponry, supplying the transportation, supplying the opportunity, um, and so on, uh, contracting for, you know, a hit or whatever. These are all forms of Direct, direct cooperation in a crime, uh, you don't have to be the one pulling the trigger or pulling, you know, pushing the switch. And the moral uh, gravity, uh, you know, is according to that direct cooperation, but they all are considered to be complicit and all have a hand in the direct result and they share in the guilt, right? And uh, so in other words, you might have one murder committed and they might have nine people who had direct direct cooperation in making that murder happen. So they're all guilty of murder, right? There's such a thing as remote cooperation. Um, 
And, and this involves people who know what they're doing. Let's say they, they realize a crime is being committed, but um, their involvement is such that it didn't really make the thing happen. It, you might even uh, reduce it to the, the causes. You know, and In philosophy, uh, they talk about the causes. They talk about the final cause. They talk, talk about the efficient cause. They talk about the uh, exemplary cause. The different causes that go in to make something happen. And um, the question here involves, let's say, you know, to what extent has somebody actually caused something to happen? Well, somebody involved remotely uh, can realize something's happening here, but his involvement is such that um, it, it, he didn't determine that it happened or not. You know, he didn't make it happen or not happen. Um, a bartender who was told by a patron, well, you know, he wants another drink. And the bartenders, I think, generally are instructed to not give drinks to those who are, you know, past obviously drunk. But uh, that's a matter of judgment. And, you know, the bartender doesn't really know necessarily unless he has somebody, clear signs. He might diagnose somebody as being uh, on the verge of intoxication. But if the bartender makes a judgment call that this person is not in danger uh, or is not at that point of intoxication and gives him a drink and that one drink is enough to push him over the edge and he's intoxicated and the, the fellow then gets in his car and drives home and hurts himself or kills himself, hurts someone else or kills somebody else, is the bartender responsible because he didn't catch that at the time? Was that uh, proximate occasion, was that proximate cooperation in the, let's say, the, um, you know, uh, uh, drunk driving death of the individual? Well, I don't think people would say, well, no, the bartender might have been mistaken, it might have been negligent, he might have been this, but he certainly did not have a direct participation in any way in, in the killing of people because um, somebody wasn't drunk, but when he finished the one drink that he, uh, the bartender gave, he was, right? He was over the edge. It passed his blood alcohol level beyond the percentage from legal to illegal, right? And then the man did this damage on the way, driving on the way home. So um, the, um, I mean, you know, again, there there are so many ways one can um, be remotely involved. I mean, let's say a mechanic is working on a car, and he's he, he's supposed to diagnose a problem. He diagnoses the problem, fixes the problem. Let's maybe he doesn't notice that something is worn, right? Uh, the tie rod, for example, is loose or cracked or whatever. And the person drives home and, and uh, you know, has an accident and somebody is hurt or killed. And the mechanic didn't notice because, you know, it wasn't... Uh, I mean, no one would blame the mechanic for noticing something that he wasn't supposed to be treating in the first place. Or, or a doctor. I mean, is a doctor somehow complicit because somebody dies and... It involved uh, something that was not directly his care. You understand what I mean? Right. So there are different levels of involvement here. But if you take as the uh, kind of a dividing line, well, did my involvement cause this to happen? 
would this have happened without my doing this, without my being involved in any way? Would it have happened anyway? The evil, the crime, you know? Well, in this case, if we're talking about um, uh, vaccines being developed from the cell lines of aborted children, <coughs> I think we can say, for one thing, with certainty, that um, anyone who, let's say, would take the vaccine would not be responsible for the death of the children, would not be responsible for the abortions, because the abortions happened, anyway, without the person's consent, and uh, the, the person condemns abortion and condemns the abortion of those children. And the person who received the, the vaccine lines would not be responsible for the deaths of the children. The decisions of the researchers and the physicians to kill them, the decisions of their mothers to have them killed, <coughs> The influence of the person who gets a vaccine later is certainly not responsible for causing that to happen. Now, some might say, well, that's, a, that's com contributing to the crime. In such a way that it would actually cause the crime to happen, make a difference between the crime happening or not? No. Simply not. Surely not. No one would argue that if uh, Tom... Nagley got the vaccine, that he is responsible for the ab abortions uh, of the children involved, or that he really contributed in any meaningful way to the fact that they were aborted, in such a way that they wouldn't have been aborted otherwise if you didn't receive the vaccine. Nobody could, in his right mind, argue that. So that's one aspect. I'm not saying that's the whole story there, but I'm saying that's one aspect of this whole question. But... Um, there, there is a, a much larger picture to this, and um, uh, that is um, the obligation we have to, in a sense, make a very strong statement that we reject the evil entirely, and we reject it absolutely. Um, so, um, I, I believe in this day and age we have an obligation to make a very strong statement. We reject this entire complex that, that produces these evil things um, and um, rejecting this vaccine is one of them, is one way of making this statement. Um, but the church herself Again, you know, in, in, in analyzing these things in a time to turn. But let me, let me put it this way, okay? Uh, by way of example, because I think examples do help somewhat. And uh, I'm not finished really coming to the bottom line here yet, right? But I just want to clear up something that seems to be a bit, kind of foggy in people's minds. What about complicity in evil here? Okay, when we talk about the question of being complicit in the evil of the abortions of the children... If we start arguing from that point of view, well, the church has quite a number of, of, of serious principles that she applies. And I think people are misapplying things and getting off on the wrong track. And that's why they're getting somewhat confused. Okay, So I want to make it clear that the fact that somebody receives the vaccine doesn't make them complicit in the abortion of the children. Okay, um, I think that argument is a wrong argument myself. Um, that doesn't mean it's right to do it. I mean, not abort the children, but receive the vaccine. Right. I'm just saying that I think that argument is, is misplaced because the church is very clear in her moral theology about this question of complicity and when one is responsible 
for the original evil and when one is not. When one is cooperating evil, when one is not. And, um, but, for example, I mean, there are people out there who will tell you right now that it would be a mortal sin to take that vaccine because you are complicit in the evil of the abortion of those children. And then you might well say to them, um, well, where did you have lunch today? And they would say, well, I, had, I was on the run, so I had to stop at a fast food place. And you say, okay, that fast food place, that supports, that supports Planned Parenthood. That, that supports Planned Parenthood, uh, Planned Parenthood to the tune of a million dollars, a couple of million dollars, five million dollars a year. That, that uh, fast food place has given a total of $120 million to Planned Parenthood over the last so many years. You know? And uh, so do you realize you are complicit in the abortion of the children? The children are being aborted by Planned Parenthood because you bought their hamburger. Now, is it true? Yeah, could be. I mean, when you're financing, when you're supporting a business that supports the abortion business, well, yes, you are complicit in that. So every time you went in there and you bought a hamburger, every time you went in there and you picked up food for your family, every time you took your kids in there uh, to, you know, get one of their Happy Meals or whatever and let them play on the swing set and all the rest, it's all nice and good, but you're actually funding abortion. And your very presence there is actually a statement that you're okay with that. Then you could make the argument that there. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, that's uh, And you might say, okay, well, well how's your portfolio today? How are your investments doing? They might say, well, stock market's up. Everything else is down. The stock market's up. They'd say, okay, are you invested in the, what companies are you invested in? Well, I'm invested in this and I'm invested in that. And I have mutual funds and I have this and that and the other thing. You'd say, oh, God, that's interesting. Let's take a look and see what you're invested in, where your money is, what it's doing for you. And you find out that, oh, look at that. You, you got your money is invested here and here and here and here. And uh, you realize all of these organizations support abortion. Every one of them. And probably homosexual behavior and gay, homosexual marriage, so-called, and all that. And you're actually funding these things. You're part of this, this big effort nationwide to fund all of these things. And that's what you're doing right now. Now, of course, we see the the liberals, right, are all about not funding, you know, any conservative causes, right? They're really big on this. So they're, they're, they're weighing heavily, don't support these corporations or whatever that are, you know, producing uh, carbon gases and you know, contributing to the greenhouse effect and all the rest. You're being um, socially irresponsible, right? And, uh, of course, conservatives think, oh, you know, come on, you know, invest in this and that, that. The liberals say you can't invest in anything that would involve guns or ammunition or anything like that, weaponry and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and we tend to say, no, 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 I'm not going in for that. But on the other hand, we say, well, we shouldn't be supporting anything that is actually funding and promoting abortion. And that's true, right? But in fact, we do, every one of us, every single day. Uh, I get on the airplane three or four times a week, 
And I go there to administer the sacraments for the people and to offer the Mass for them, for our Lord primarily, for the souls too, obviously, souls he loves. And uh, the airlines I travel, without exception, support uh, homosexual lifestyle uh, in their statement, right? Um, and uh, officially, right, contribute to the homosexual parades and um, also probably support Planned Parenthood too. So when I get on an airplane to, to fly to a mission to administer the sacraments, um, then I'm buying an airfare on an airplane to get me to a place to offer the Mass and administer the sacraments, but they're using the money to pursue this evil end, right? So am I cooperating in the deaths of uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of children every year uh, by uh, patronizing this airplane airline? Uh, the alternative to which would be not to get there at all, to administer the sacrament, not to get to these souls, right? Um, so basically, should we just shut everything down? I mean, and uh, right now, uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Basically, we, we have to say that all those who condemn abortion and condemn a sexual deviancy and all manner of perversion would have to say, I can't contribute to anything. I can't buy anything. <laughs> I can't buy food. I can't do anything. Uh, morally, because I'm contributing to all of this activity going on. Um, the global economy, whatever it might be, right? I can't pay my taxes because my taxes are being used to do evil things. Now, there are those who come to that conclusion. Um, but is it actually the church that's telling them the traditional Catholic Church that's giving the moral principle is saying, you cannot, uh, you know, buy this food. Because uh, no, no matter where you, where you go to shop, the food um, is provided by some concern that somewhere along the line is involved in, you know, supporting to a certain extent some pro-abortion cause or business or whatever, or some perversion. Well, again, the church has their own principles and says, uh, you know, you're, you're not committing a sin necessarily by um, um, buying food for your family uh, because your involvement in, in this, whatever the company is that's selling the food, is so remote that when your, your responsibility for that is not only infinitesimal, it is negligible because... You're buying the food or not buying the food will have, have absolutely no effect whatsoever on whether this evil takes place. One might say, well, if we all stop buying that food, right, then it might. It might. We don't know. But uh, the fact is, we're talking about the individual's responsibility here that we're talking about. You're talking about the individual person's responsibility saying, if I stop and buy this food, am I responsible for, um, you know, the deaths of hundreds of thousands of children by abortion every year? And the answer is no, I'm not. And again, one would be a, a rather extreme to claim that they are. <clears throat> one could say, again, I mean, by way of example, to try to hopefully put things in perspective. Okay, my son or my daughter, um, or I myself, am in the armed services of my country. And um, I... Um, 
serve my country, and I obey the commander-in-chief and uh, the line of command, and I do where I, what I do, I go where I go, I fight where I fight, and so on, on command, because this is the service of my country. But at the same time, I pretty well realize that um, uh, my country right now is, especially, you know, when we have, uh, say, an Obama or a Biden, right, the presidency, that's commander-in-chief, right? that I'm going to be asked to do things and fight for causes that I necessarily don't, don't necessarily believe in. And uh, so am I, by signing up to become a member of the military, am I committing a grave sin by putting myself in a position where I have to obey a commander-in-chief who I think um, does or could command me to do something that uh, to fight a cause I don't believe in, right? Um, could it happen that one would have an obligation if one is in the military to say, no, I will not fight? Um, there is a very famous case of a Franz uh, Jägerstetter, um, <coughs> an Austrian, I think, who refused to fight for Hitler. He was beheaded, actually, by the Nazis because he refused to fight, and he said it was against his conscience. He was a Catholic gentleman. And um, it's an interesting story. I mean, I, I saw the, a documentary in German about him. Uh, but there's, there's actually a movie in English now uh, out about that. I forget the title, but it just came out in the last uh, maybe year, year and a half. Um, in any case, um, so does that mean that any of our... <laughs> any of our children, any of our loved ones who want to sign up for military service are, are um, already lost. I mean, are they, are they in a standing state of mortal sin because they belong to our military service? Well, I don't think anybody would argue that necessarily. Um, um, I don't think any of those who would be blaming you for getting a vaccine would say, that, well, if you sign up for the military service, that you are... Um, complicit in terrible crimes, just by their very fact. Um, so again, we need to, you know, put, put all of this in perspective. Now, personally, I mean, trying to apply the, the principles of the Catholic Church on the matter, um, I see that... Um, there has to be a proportion. The church thinks about this. You can't do anything intrinsically evil. That's a fact. Uh, there is no proportion to play off against that, right? Uh, I can't say, well, if I lie my way out of this, then I can see I have more to gain than lose. I can do accomplish a lot of good by lying and cheating and stealing through this. But lying and cheating and stealing are intrinsically evil, right? And so I can't justify it by saying, but look, so much good could come from that. What I should do is I should just go and, um, you know, bump off people, rich people who have a lot of money and they're using it for bad things. And I just steal all their money and start using it for good things, right? And the answer is, no, you can't do that. It's still murder, and you're, you'd go to hell for that, right? 
you can't do that. It's intrinsically evil to do that. Right. So um, no proportion is going to work there to justify you. Yeah. St. Paul says <clears throat> it is impossible or it is, it is not acceptable, it is forbidden to do evil so that good may result from it. Okay. Um, but uh, the question here is um, with regard to the uh, let's say the, let's go back to the vaccine here. Is there uh, is this intrinsically evil for someone to receive the vaccine? No. Was it intrinsically evil for someone to abort the babies? Yes. Are we aborting the babies by taking the vaccine? No. We are not, right? Um, we condemn it. We're working against it. We're doing everything we can to stop it, right? Um, but uh, because there was an evil involved, although there has to be some proportionate, there still has to be some proportionality uh, to make it in any way, uh, you know, the right thing to do, right? Um, and uh, I, I think the vaccine question fails on all counts, personally. I mean, what we have to say, well, okay, the origins of this are bad to begin with, okay? But I'm not complicit in the original evil by receiving the vaccine. But already, you know, I'm starting with that question, you know, uh, <laughs> that um, however remote my involvement in that, you know, it's still... Uh, something that 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 I I, re, I reject that 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 connection in any way, and I don't want that. But the thing is, um, one would say, okay, well, this vaccine is it beneficial? Well, there's no indication that it's beneficial. Uh, there's no indication that it's beneficial. Even those who are pushing these vaccines are telling us, you still have to wear your mask, you still have to social distance, we still have to have lockdowns. This, these, this vaccine is not going to deliver us in this. And so, and they tell you that even if you get a vaccination, it won't last very long. And when this virus, virus mutates, the vaccine you receive probably wouldn't be helpful anyway. So we have to continually come up with new lines of, you know. in other words, so many things they say, one thing after another, after another, after another, you realize this vaccine is, well, basically kind of a scam. Essentially, I mean, um, and so, you know, they themselves are telling you this thing is really not going to be very beneficial, if it's beneficial at all. And then you realize, okay, the, the, next, the next point is, but there are beneficial things that they will not let you have. And there are things that are being clinically studied right now all over the world and are yielding very promising results from existing medications that have been tried and proven for many years now to be safe. <clears throat> and, uh, and yet the powers that be adamantly refuse to allow those to be used and try to make it as difficult or even Ill illegal, right? As difficult as possible to obtain, illegal to use, and um, all, kind of, all kinds of threats are marshaled to prevent people from using uh, any other means. Uh, and it's very clear what is being done. That is, no, you, we're going to block off any other possible remedy for this other than our vaccines. At the same time, they're telling you our vaccines really aren't going to do you much good.
So you go through that aspect of it, then you come to the question, well, could they be harmful? And the answer is absolutely they're harmful. Um, I mean, the ones that have been approved already on an emergency basis by the FDA here in America, um, I mean, the, the results are already getting out that people are suffering uh, damage from these vaccines. Some of them, in some cases, very grave damage. And I think most of the people who are listening to our program realize that that's true, that this is happening. And so not only are they promising you little or no benefit to their vaccine, but they are actually um, pretty much uh, forecasting there are going to be some people who are gravely, gravely damaged by this, uh, impaired, possibly even killed by their vaccines. You know. So when you look at the big picture and you put it all together and you realize... Uh, what's involved in this. And, you, you know, you, there are those who say, well, this is all part of some great global plot. And, and I believe it is. I believe the vaccines, um, based upon the warnings, the caveats that have come out with them um, <clears throat> from various sources, have a lot to do with birth control, birth prevention, population control. Uh, the main voice... Um, from Hades, uh, uh, for all this, is Bill Gates. And he's made no secrets of the fact. He's trumpeted the fact that he considers a great, uh, a great uh, benefit to come out of all of this is a reduction of the population of the world. Mm -hmm. The mass death, mass deaths right, of human beings, which uh, he finds very delightful, a very positive thing. That, we, that's, that in itself would be... Sufficient reason to move forward. If, if it accomplished nothing else, it's wonderful. And, um, you know, again, you put all that together and you say, no, no, I, I will not be a part of any of this, you know. Um, is there any scenario, therefore, in which a person could morally take the vaccine? That's another question, right? And uh, I think what I said was uh, that I have every intention not to receive the vaccine. That the only, only circumstances under which I could foresee taking the vaccine is if it were necessary for me to get to souls with the Mass and the sacraments. And, uh, I mean, I would consider that to be putting myself in danger to do that. But then, as a priest, I'm already in danger if I'm driving on the road at any time and I see a fiery wreck and somebody's calling for me to come to them and I realize that, you know, the, the gas tank could blow any minute now and I'd be in mortal danger, but this person is calling out. I mean, I, I'd have to go to them into the, into the flames, you know, if necessary. So there's already a certain moral danger that you've already consented to and already kind of accepted that responsibility when you're ordained. And, um, so if somebody's dying in the hospital of COVID-19, as Father Grinnell and I have done, you know, we've, we've, we've actually found ways to get in. Um, and, and I don't mean sneaking in, I mean just uh, you know, getting attorneys involved to make it clear that we are, we are determined to get to these souls, you know. And, uh, of course, we have to get all in the hazmat suits and look like we're going to the moon, that's a moonshot or whatever. And we consider this to be quite okay. You know, we have no problem with that whatsoever. 
have been delivery rooms, right? Uh, with the, the complete uh, garb on, right? Yeah. And uh, ready to baptize babies as soon as they're delivered. Because they weren't expected to last but minutes, you know? So we're, we're accustomed to that. That's not a problem for us. <clears throat> but the, the point in putting on all that protective garb, the PPE, is that you're going in and you could contract this and it could kill you. I mean, this is the idea, right? right. We don't take that lightly because we know people who have died. Uh, consequences associated with COVID-19. I don't know that anyone dies of COVID-19, but complications caused by it are the issue. And no one need diet necessarily uh, die of those complications if people if the medicine would you know treat it yeah. later. But uh, that's another question. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> you know, as far as uh, the dangers to myself of receiving the the vaccine, uh, if it were necessary to continue functioning as a priest, I would take that, and but consider that to be a pr proportionate uh, reason, you know, to undertake that danger. Um, when it comes to this matter of proportionality, I mean, we, again, this is a concept that should not be hard for people to grasp at all. When they get in the car and they drive to the grocery store, they are putting themselves in a certain danger. I mean, there's a certain percentage of people die every day, automobile accidents, and they say that... Uh, there's a much higher percentage of people dying within 25 miles of their own home, you know. So you're in more danger, supposedly, uh, driving to the grocery store than you would be in driving to visit, you know, Aunt Frida in the next state over. Uh, <laughs> obviously, just because you have more people who are making that trip, mm. right, within 25 miles of home. But uh, regardless, uh, you know, crossing the street, uh, walking across the railroad tracks, uh, opening a can of soup, you know, you're taking uh, a certain risk, you make sure everything is healthy there and nothing, no botulism or anything. So we try to minimize the risks and we have an obligation to minimize the risks, but there's inherent risk in living, right? And uh, again, people who are involved in this question with a vaccine, a traditional Catholics, know that. They are saying no more lockdowns. We're willing to take the risk, right? The lockdowns are doing the damage, um, and you're imposing these lockdowns on all these people and doing all this damage on the basis of a risk, and we want to be allowed to live, and we will take care of the risk on our own. So, you know, even traditional Catholics understand that there are risks involved, and they're willing to, to take those risks, okay? It's just a part of life. And so when we're talking about, you know, there being some proportionate good and a reason to undertake a risk, then, um, you know, they can make it right to, to do that. And in this case, personally, I think a traditional priest would be certainly entitled to, uh, to take that risk for the sake of the souls he has to serve if it's the only way he can do it. Um, but in any case, again, I, I think people are getting a, a little bit off the track and because of their abhorrence of abortion, they're just saying, well, anything to do with abortion, we can't touch. And at the same time, every single day, they are touching <laughs> that very thing in going through normal life um, 
in putting gasoline in their car. You know, they're paying uh, corporations that are themselves, you know, very much engaged in promoting the perverse lifestyles and the abortion business. Um, so they, they need to understand that um, um, this is not a matter of, that uniquely affects this matter of, of, the, vac- of the vaccines. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is even if a vaccine is not derived from a cell phone, a fetal uh, cell line, it can still be wrong <laughs> to take, you know. In other words, some others would argue, well, here, I've got a vaccine that is not developed from fetal cell line, so that's yours, your objection, so you have no objection to taking this. <laughs> you say, well, actually, we don't want that either, you know. So th- there's a lot more involved in this than a lot of people seem to be willing to put a thought into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if um, they were to discuss this with any real moral theologian who would consider it, uh, they would... Uh, they would realize um, that taking a vaccine in itself does not make them complicit in abortion any more than buying a hamburger from a fast food place Mm -hmm. chain or putting gas in the car. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think uh, Bishop Snyder came out with something recently where he said that if we have a vaccines that come from the cells of aborted fetuses, uh, babies, mm-hmm. that uh, this is the beginning of the apocalypse or something like that? That's exactly what he said. Yeah, we had someone email about that. And uh, yeah. I guess it was on the, uh, the LifeSite. Um, it was on the one of the LifeSite uh, contributors, his, uh, his show, John Henry Weston, one of his shows. He had mm-hmm. uh, Bishop Schneider on there, and uh, Bishop Schneider said that a a mandatory global vaccine made from aborted baby cell lines would place us in the beginning of the apocalypse. And so, if you wanted to know if you agree with that, if you think that that would that would possibly be true, at the beginning of the apocalypse. Beginning of well, the I mean, apocalypse. it sounds apocalyptic to say that, yeah. right? But no, I think we are at the beginning of the apocalypse and have been already. I mean, I don't think that places us at the beginning of the apocalypse. I'm, I'm trying to figure out. I, I mean, Vatican II, I think, has a lot to do with the beginning of the apocalypse, right? Um, and what has happened to the church? Um, I think the uh, you know the Roe versus Wade and the other uh, uh, you know government capitulations to abortion. Uh, you know, we're talking about back in 1973. Now we're talking about quite some time ago. Um, already mark a stage in the in the progress of the events of the apocalypse. So I, I'm just puzzled why this a mandatory global vaccine from the cell lines of, of aborted babies would mark the beginning of the apocalypse. I don't know why he would say that would be the beginning. I think we're already there. Yeah. Uh, well past that beginning. I mean, according to Jean Guitton, a French philosopher who's a good friend of Paul VI, who actually stood with Paul VI when he promulgated uh, finally the documents of Vatican II uh, at the end of the Second Vatican Council. I mean, Jean Guiton said that that, uh, Paul VI said to him as he was about to read the pronouncement, I'm about to sound the, the trumpets of the apocalypse. 
That's what Jean Guitton said. We're talking about 1965. So why all of a sudden, when now we're talking about a mandatory global vaccine uh, from the self lines of aborted fetuses, why that means now the apocalypse suddenly it's started I don't understand the, the thought thinking of it. Yeah. Well, I know we've kind of touched on this before, Father, but I know there's there's always a lot of talk about the connection, uh, if there is one, between the vaccine and the, the mark of the beast and how those two mm. could somehow be connected. And so mm. that, you know, this vaccine has something to do with the mark of the beast and that could kind of precipitate things and kind of... Well, but the mark of the beast was not the beginning of the apocalypse. Yeah. The mark of the beast is, part, is, a, is a development within the, yeah. you know, the whole... So, you know, progress of the apocalypse, right? Right. Uh, the apocalypse doesn't start out, the book of the apocalypse does not start out with the mark of the beast. Yeah. That is developed in the course of it, these events. So again, I'm a little puzzled by the, the, the statement. Um, but the mark of the beast, again, involves buying and selling, right? Uh, and so if these things are all tied together, having the the uh, vaccine giving you the kind of internal passport or whatever to enable you to buy and sell. And if you don't have that, if you haven't received the vaccine, that you haven't, you don't have the mark of the beast to enable you to buy and sell, one can tie those all together. But, um, and I would expect that there would be a tie between them, that the, 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 the globalists are going to tie them all together. The Antichrist himself will tie them all together. Yeah. I guess what I'm puzzled is by the idea that that's the beginning of the apocalypse. Yeah. I don't see that myself, yeah. Yeah. for what it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Father, one, one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the scenario of a, a priest where the, uh, the, he would be required to have the vaccine before he could, say, get into the hospital to administer sacraments to, to a patient in there. Uh, how, how realistic is that? Do you see that happening anytime soon? I mean, it, it seems the, the way that we're, we're trending that it's only a matter of time and perhaps a very short amount of time before something like that is the case where they kind of have this mandatory vaccine if you, say, want to get into a hospital. Um, how, how soon do you see that happening? Or do you see that happening at all? You know, I, I think that's a logical progression if they, unless they're stopped. Yeah. Unless they're stopped, uh, that I, I think that necessarily is where they're going to go. Yeah. Sure, it makes perfect sense. I mean, if they're going to require you to have that to get on an airplane, yeah. uh, or eventually to even, you know, be in company of other people, you know, not to be, uh, you know, you're going to, they're going to relegate people to these leper, leper colonies, right, if they don't have the, uh, the vaccine uh, and the uh, well, you know, in the, in, the, in the time of the Emperor Datius and the emperors around him in the middle of the 200s, one had to have the libellum, the booklet or the certificate to say that they had sacrificed to the gods. And those who did not have the libellum, a certificate issued by the local authority certifying that you um, you know, uh, Timotheo so-and-so had sacrificed to the gods unless you had that certificate that you were liable to for prosecution and you could be imprisoned. And the Christians who could not sacrifice to the gods, therefore, uh, were denied the certificate. And they were liable for all kinds of punishment, right? The problem was there were Christians who were 
well-to-do and bribing officials to give them false certificates to say they had sacrificed when they really hadn't. This was a cause of great scandal. The question was, afterwards, after the persecution came to an end, the death of the emperor at the time, whether those who had sacrificed to the gods could be restored you know, to life in the church, but also whether those who had even bribed a certificate for the libellum should be allowed to come back. Well, the modern-day equivalent of that libellum is going to be this, this vaccine certificate or some kind of stamp or barcode, as somebody has suggested recently, uh, that is actually, you know, it's, uh, what do you call it, kind of branded onto you somewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think if they're going to require that you have this to participate in uh, human activities with other human beings, that you can live the new normal, you can have a normal life at all anymore, mm-hmm. that, yeah, I'm sure that they will begin to require that to get into a hospital to visit a patient uh, as a priest, uh, to give them the sacraments. Uh, um, I think their ultimate objective, though, is not even to stop at that. I mean, they just want to stop priests, true priests, from getting to people yeah. under those circumstances in any case. So I think they're going to try to find a way, vaccine or no vaccine, vaccination or no vaccination, to stop priests altogether from getting to people like that. Mm-hmm. We always tell people now, look, uh, if you feel ill and you feel like you have to go to urgent care, emergency room, whatever, please, uh, unless it's a, a matter of instantaneous life and death, let us know. Let come. To, let us come to give you the sacrament of extra give you absolution, because it might be the last time we're able to see you alive. And so we ask people to stop and make sure they do that. Before they go. Before they go. <laughs> because once they go through those doors, they may not uh, be accessible again. Mm-hmm. Well, Father, in closing, could you give us some uh, positive words of, of encouragement? We have Christmas coming up here in just a matter of days. Is there any uh, hope for us there? Well, of course, you know, the, the, the um, globalists and the, uh, just the, the terms for the, uh, <clears throat> the one-worlders, new world orders, and all the rest, right? The, the, the great resetters. Great resetters. Um, <laughs> they want us to obsess about what they're doing. And they want to cancel Christmas. They made it very clear, especially where Democrats have, have gained control, they want to cancel Christmas. And they're ordering people to stay home. Like, look at Britain right now. It's incredible what those people are going through at the hand of these uh, tyrants. And um, the, um, the, the problem is that we, even as traditional Catholics, can allow them to cancel our Christmas by, by obsessing so much about what they're doing that we can't really celebrate the birth of our Lord because we're obsessing about all this going on in the world today. And uh, that would be a terrible tragedy. Uh, we are still free to uh, truly celebrate the birth of our Lord and rejoice in the commemoration of his birth. For, for us, that is the great reset. That's the divine great reset for mankind, the coming of the Savior. 
And we should insist on that and proclaim that very, very loudly to the whole world. And we should uh, uh, derive great joy and express great joy at that. So as much as the world is beset right now by the anxieties and terrors and, you know, wars and rumors of war and all the rest, of the signs that our Lord talks about in St. Matthew chapter 24. But our Lord says is, uh, and say, Luke, right when you see these things happening, lift up your heads, look up, your redemption is at hand. And that's what we should see. We should see the coming of our Lord there and, um, and rejoice at the idea. So the world has to see us rejoicing and we have to... Um, do that not only as a display or some kind of a feigning that for the world. We have to have an honest-to-goodness, very deep joy at the celebration of the birth of our Lord. So I'd say, please, even though we only have a few days left before the Christmas Day itself, really put everything else aside, um, anything that conflicts with that. And I mean, not only actions, but thoughts and grim thoughts and worries and anxieties about what's going to happen with the government and so on and so forth. And just focus, really, uh, on the the greatness of this mystery of the Incarnation and the birth of Christ, the Savior, and uh, give yourselves and give your children a a very deep joy of Christmas. You might say, well, but we're worried. We're worried that we may not be able to celebrate Christmas next year. And I say, well, okay, uh, maybe not. But God forbid that that thought should rob you of celebrating Christmas this year and rob your children of the blessing of really celebrating and having the joy of Christmas this year because you fear what might happen next year. So... Okay, maybe we won't be able to celebrate Christmas next year because of the conditions of the world. It makes it ten times more important that we celebrate it now while we can and that our children have the memory of the celebration, of the real celebration of a real Christmas. So we should really, in a sense, go all out this year you know, to celebrate Christmas as it should be celebrated. And if we do, and we show not only experience that great love uh, of God and our love for him and show it, that's the best guarantee we have that we will be celebrating Christmas next year and the year after that and the year after that. So I'm just exhorting everyone to really celebrate Christmas for what it really is, the birth of the Christ, and to make it very, very known in the world today. If you've never showered your house in lights, do it now, right? You know, if you have not, if you've celebrated Christmas only half-heartedly, well, now is the time to really celebrate it. And, uh, and uh, but be mindful of what you're celebrating and why, you know, uh, to express that joy of the birth of the Savior. People need that. The world needs it right now. They need that example. It's the greatest, um, I, I, I mean, even from a worldly point of view, I guess, it would be the greatest statement you could make against the pagan Great Reset to confront it with 
the divine great reset, and that's the birth of the Savior. Absolutely. That means celebrate Christmas for what it really is. Well, thank you for being here tonight, Father. I appreciate it. And, uh, well, certainly, Tom. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. And thanks to our viewers, and Merry Christmas. Blessed Christmas and New Year to all of you. Absolutely. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.